could see all tonight. Number 389. 389. Thank you. 
We're going to turn over to 160 now. 160. If you can, let's all stand for this. to be seated. All right. Um, again, I'll encourage you to get a bulletin. And uh, and uh, we misspelled Sean Elam. That's my fault. And so uh, we'll get that fixed. But uh, um, he's going to be with us on uh, October the 11th. I'm looking forward to that. And it'll be good to meet his wife and, and be able to pray for him. Um, do be in prayer for, uh, we really do need some more missionaries to support. And so please do be in prayer about that. I had one shared with me earlier today. And so please do let me know. I'd love to have them in. And um, um, uh, I know I'm forgetting something. Oh, um, uh, if you would, uh, 
be in prayer. We got some of you back uh, this afternoon from travels, and so we praise the Lord for that. But uh, uh, Jim had to take Ryan to the uh, emergency room for his back, and so do keep him in your prayers for that if you would. If our men could come, we're going to take and receive our evening offering at this time. So there we go. Amen. Brother Jason, if you would. Amen. Let's go to Give into you shall be given. 
Well, get your Bibles if you would, and uh, we're going to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. told you last week I had opportunity to uh, meet a young lady who was excited about the Bible and, and wanted to talk about the things of God. And she was trying to learn some things from the Bible and she was studying it. And one of the things I encouraged her, I encouraged her to study uh, the science of Bible study, which is called hermeneutics. And um, I don't really want to teach about hermeneutics, I, I am going to show you that, of course. But uh, let's say it this way. You can interpret the Bible any way you want to. The Bible says that many people do that and they rest the scriptures to their own destruction. Meaning to me, that it's very important how we interpret the Bible. Okay, And God wrote it to be understood. He wrote it to be understood by a normal the normal mind. I mean, I don't believe you need to be a scholar to understand your Bible. You just need to be a student to understand your Bible. But you do have to study your Bible the right way to understand what it means, okay? Now, I'm going to hit you with uh, three words here. This is the science of the Bible or the rules that I use for interpreting. I hope you use the same ones, okay? I mean, I'm teaching them for a purpose. But our hermeneutic, and if you will, they're the guidelines or the rules that we use for interpreting our Bible is we use what is called a historical, grammatical, literal hermeneutic, meaning that we understand that the Bible was written in time, and so we need to understand it when it was written, not today. Uh, one of the simple illustrations is this, is the word gay doesn't mean today what it meant 100 years ago. Matter of fact, I, I, I use this illustration, but Mindy and I met, um, uh, we actually did plays together, and uh, the very first play I was ever in was called Our Hearts Were Young and Gay. Well, that, that play was written during World War I. Well, gay meant happy and, and free-spirited, and it certainly doesn't mean that today. And so that you have to understand the words in their historical context. We also believe that God inspired the words, okay? The inspiration of God, he inspired the very words that he used. We talked about that a little bit last week. And, uh, and so, if you will, there's a reason why he used every one of those words. This morning, when I was preaching, I was preaching uh, about Exodus chapter 8, where the Bible, he says, glorify me. Remember that? And it just seemed to be a word way out of context. What in the world are you talking about, glorify me? And, uh, and so it inspired, you know, a good half hour worth of study trying to figure out why would he say glorify me. And the only conclusion I could come up with was, was he was saying, put me to the test and see if I don't come through. Tell me when you want the frogs gone, okay? And, of course, he, Moses would have taken and given that glory to God um, because God would have been the one who removed him exactly when he said that he was going to do it. And so, if you will, um, God, if he puts a word in there, uh, we need to understand why. Uh, the sad truth is, is a lot of people, and I'm talking about scholars, preachers, individuals, if they find a word in there that they do not like, they just say, I don't understand it, and they'll skip over it or, or just push it to the side. And I'm just telling you that 
if God inspired all the words and if he preserved all the words and he said that they were profitable, then we ought to take and treat them as such. Amen? And so our science of studying the Bible ought to be historical, try to figure out what they meant when they were written. It ought to be uh, grammatical, the very words themselves have meaning. And then we talked last week about them being literal, even if they were given as figures of speech. Meaning that the figures of speech don't be so literal that you take and, 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 and you confuse the issue. Um, again, I, I hate to use this illustration again and again, but it's just easy. The Bible says that he would gather Jerusalem as a hen. Well, God's not a bird. He's not a chicken, okay? And so it would be silly to say to equate those two things. But literally, if you've ever seen a chicken gather her hand, you would understand the, the loving nature and the, and the complete concern that he had for Jerusalem in that, in that metaphor that he used. And so we talked about similes and metaphors last week, and then extended similes and metaphors, which were Proverbs and parables, how that God sometimes will paint a picture for us to be able to understand uh, a number of different things, his kingdom and who he is and, and his nature. Well, today I kind of want to focus more on that historical part, okay, on that historical part. And so that's where we are. We're in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, and it uses a word here, First Corinthians chapter 9, look at verse 17, and it uses a word here, it says, for if I do this thing willingly, I have a reward, but if against my will, a dispensation of the gospel is committed unto me. Now, the Greek, the Greek word for that is a koinomia. And if you just kind of bend your ear a little bit, you can understand that's, that's where we get our word economy, okay? Uh, that's essentially the English version of a koinomia would be economy. And so when he talks about a dispensation... He's talking about a way of doing things. Because what is an economy? In a sense, a, an economy is a, a plan or a purpose for providing for the needs of individuals, for paying things and for raising things, and for paying for things and, and raising and producing things. And uh, in the United States of America, we have what's called a free market economy, okay? Meaning that uh, you can go have your business and you can go have your business, and somehow we'll have enough beef and we'll have enough eggs and we'll have enough... Uh, money to pay for all this. Uh, in the Soviet Union, they did what is called a planned economy. Every five years, they would say, this is how much chicken we're going to produce and how many eggs we're going to produce and how much... Uh, and by the way, they always uh, fell short of their plans, if you know anything about Soviet economy. And the reason for that is you can't force people to do what they don't want to do. Amen? You all understand it? And so if you will, God is saying this. He says, I have dealt with man different ways and at different times, okay? Different ways and at different times. Now, we've got to be very careful because if God says there's only one way of salvation, how long has there only been one way of salvation? Nobody wants to talk to me here. Yeah, it's always been. It's always been for by grace are you saved through faith, okay? And if you will, Adam and Eve were saved by grace through faith. All right? The very last person in tribulation is going to be saved by grace through faith. All right, Meaning it's a gift from God or it's provision of God. And all we've got to do is believe that he'll give it to us okay, and we'll receive it. Okay, So whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord, that's an act of faith saying, I, I trust that you're going to keep your promise and you offered me everlasting life. 
It has always been like that. It will always be like that. So whenever I talk to you about different economies or different ways of God dealing with people, please don't say, well, there was different ways of salvation because there certainly was not. And to be quite honest with you, that is the key to understanding what I'm talking about here today because quite often the two are, are, are confused. Uh, the dispensations that we're most uh, familiar with, and I'll, I'll deal with this here a little bit more here in a second, but the ones we're most familiar with is law and grace. Law and grace. We are in, if you will, the dispensation of grace. Amen? And, and so you say, well, it, it would be very easy to say, well, in the Old Testament you were saved by keeping the sacrifices. Well, have you read the New Testament? In the book of Hebrews, the Bible says, not by blood of bulls and goats. You're not saved by that. You're saved by the one sacrifice for sins forever, whereby he sat down on the right hand of God. Listen, Jesus Christ paid it all. Amen. And so if you will, in the Old Testament, you weren't saved by keeping the sacrifices. You made the sacrifices because you believed in the grace that God would bestow through the Messiah, through the Savior, through the Lamb. Okay. And in the New Testament, this age of grace, we're looking back to what Jesus Christ has done for us. We understand a little bit more. But, um, but, uh, and so things are different, okay, but still the salvation is the same. The object of salvation is the same. The person of salvation is still the same. Uh, look with me a little bit further, if you will. Uh, we're not going to come back here, so um, go to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. And look at verse 10. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 10. The Bible says that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ. Again, that kind of reinforces what we just talked about. All the dispensations point to Christ. Okay, We'll see that more here in just a second. And the Bible says, both which are in heaven and which are in earth, even in him. Okay, And so if you will, he's not just reconciling mankind. He's taking and he's providing for uh, all of creation in, in that. Okay. Uh, look at uh, Ephesians chapter 3, look at verse 2. Ephesians chapter 3 and verse 2. The Bible says, If you have heard of the dispensation of grace of God which is given to me to you, word. Okay? Well, what's he talking about? Well, he's talking to people who were raised in law, and he says, Listen, I've been given a new economy. I've been given a new dispensation. This is the way we do things now. It's not about Israel keeping the sacrifices. It's about preaching the gospel. What is the gospel? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ or Jesus the Messiah. Okay? And, and, and so he says we have a new way of doing things. The message is still the same. Just have a new way of being able to explain it. Why? Well, new information if nothing else. Okay? New information if nothing else. Go to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1 and verse 25. And the Bible says this, it says, Whereof I am made a minister according to the dispensation of God, which is given to me for you to fulfill the word of God. Meaning this is God's, this is God's will, this is God's desire. Men didn't make this up, okay? God is the one that created this dispensation or this economy. And, and so, uh, I, uh, for sake of time, I won't go into all of it, but he promised this new covenant with Israel. He promised this new relationship. So in a sense, he promised this new economy or new way of doing things. Okay, And, and so if you will, again, what is our purpose? Our purpose is to help us to understand how to study our Bible. Okay, 
And the science of studying our Bible is, again, is, uh, is uh, historical, grammatical, literal. All right? And so we're really focusing on the historical part here today. Has God dealt with man in different ways in different times throughout history? The answer to that question is clearly yes. But here's some things that we can learn. And, and again, I, I was kind of hoping that, uh, that our young people could hear this, but uh, uh, to just to take and to help them to know how to break down a text and to understand. There are essentially seven dispensations, all right? If you're not familiar with them, how many of y'all honestly know the seven dispensations? Okay. Yeah, good, good. And it's good to study through them, and, and it's good for us to reinforce them, Okay. But if you will, there's the dispensation that, uh, and you can call them anything you want to. This is the ones that we call them, okay? But there's innocence. That's Adam and Eve in the garden, okay? In the garden, all right? Then there's conscience. That's when they had consciousness of sin and they were cast out of the garden, okay? Then there's human governments. That's about the time of uh, the Tower of Babel and all the nations get spread and everything. We'll talk about that more here in a moment. And that's when he started allowing uh, uh, human Humans to govern themselves, okay, uh, through human government, if you will. And then there came the time of the covenant where God began to deal with Abraham and the promises that he made him, okay. And uh, we'll, we'll talk about that here in a second. And then the law. We know when the law, you know, when, when God gave the law to Moses. And then uh, who fulfilled the law? Jesus fulfilled the law. I said, I didn't come to destroy the law. I came to fulfill it. I came to keep it, Okay. And by the way, he is the only one who could have fulfilled it. He is the only one who could have kept it. Amen. Excuse me. And so, if you will, uh, then the, uh, there's the law, then there's grace, and then there's the millennium. Okay, the millennium. We'll talk about all those here in a second. Uh, let's go back to the beginning. Again, one more time. Innocence, conscience, human governments, covenants, law, grace, and the millennium. Okay? And so, let's talk about uh, this. The thing that's interesting is why different ways and different times. Now, again, God knows the end from the beginning, does he not? Does he know what is right? Does he know what works and doesn't work? You know who doesn't know that? Us, okay? Now, I will promise you this. As parents, sometimes you tell your children this, trust me, I know what I'm talking about, or just do what I tell you, okay? And it's usually from the attitude of, listen, I know you don't. You'll figure it out. Well, God, in his mercy, gives us opportunity to understand and to figure these things out, okay? And again, like we talked about last week, you know when he's using all these metaphors, the reason that he uses all these metaphors is because it's hard for us to get our mind around some of the concepts that he teaches us. Uh, Can I ask a question? What does uh, God look like? We don't have an answer. You know why? Because no man's seen God at any time and lived. <laughs> the Bible tells us that. Amen. And so nobody's ever seen God. So if nobody's ever seen God, how does he define himself? And by the way, he's not defined by space because he's outside of space. And he's not defined by looking like us in a sense. And, and, and by the way, a lot of people like to make Jesus look like them. And, and I think we'd all be surprised to know what Jesus looked like. By the way, does the Bible tell us what Jesus looked like? Does it? What's it say? What's his skin color? Does it say that? No, but what does it do say about him? Not 
That's what the Bible says. The Bible says there was no comeliness in him. There was no beauty in him that we should desire him. Meaning this, that he probably wasn't over average tall, and, and he certainly wasn't above average looks. He was probably exactly average looking wise. And, and if you were to look at him standing out in a crowd, you wouldn't immediately take and say, there he is. That's, that's, that's the Christ. Why? Well, just look at him. No, it's, it's okay. And, and so if you will, we don't know what he looks like, but we can make some certain assumptions about him. So not too tall, not too short. Okay. He certainly had no disfigurements. Uh, he wasn't an attractive man, but he was, you know, he was just a, an average-looking man. It, it would, the Bible said he, there was not a beautiful man. He was not a handsome man, if you will. That's what the word comely means. It means handsome. And, uh, and, and so my whole point is this, is there are some things that we want to understand about our God, but we can only understand with the figurative language, okay? But get this. There's also some, some things that we understand, can only understand about ourselves if God shows us. Okay? Now, I, I, will, I, will, I will tell you this. How many, and I don't want to ask this rhetorical question because you guys know the answers to this, but there are many people who would say, if you'd have just planted me in a garden and given me a tree of life, made my life perfect, I'd have never fallen to that deceit from the old devil. That's nonsense. By the way, anybody want to guess how old Adam was when he fell? The Bible doesn't tell us, okay? Uh, this is not in my notes, but I think it's an important question. How many children did they have in the Garden of Eden? We do know. Huh? He didn't have any in it. So it, it and, and here's the deal. It would take a whole sermon to prove this, okay? But he couldn't have had any. Why? Because then you'd have two lines. You'd have a condemned line and a, and, a, and a still uncondemned line. Okay? Because the Bible says when Adam fell, all of humanity fell. All of humanity fell in Adam. If there would have been two lines and if they'd had a child, there would have been a divergent line. Okay? And so there could not have been a child in, 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 in um, Eden. Okay? Um, do, does everybody believe that, by the way? Are there some wicked people that use the Bible to believe some wicked things? Can somebody tell me what the mark of Cain is? I'm, 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 I'm getting outside my notes here to make a point. What's the mark of Cain? Say, so y'all are good Baptists and you don't know. Does anybody know what some people say the mark of Cain is? Everybody's nodding, nobody wants to say it. A lot of people say the mark of Cain is black skin. Well, can I tell you that's nonsense? I'm going to say that again. That's nonsense. Because Adam and Eve, excuse me, Noah, everybody died except Noah's family. How many of y'all think Noah's family looked like Noah? Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. And so my whole point is, is they want to take and believe some things, and that's why you ask the question, did they have any children of the Garden of Eden? No, they didn't. Okay. What is the mark of Cain? Bible doesn't say. So don't let it say more than it says. Y'all with me? These, these are important things. Why? Because some people twist these things to believe some very ugly things. Uh, sometimes some very selfish things. How many of y'all want to believe what the Bible says? It? Okay, that's why we apply this science. That's why we ask these questions, okay? How did it end? 
in the Garden of Eden. I think we all know they, they fell from their innocency. And if you will, it's a wonderful study if you want to do it. But if you will, the Bible says that the woman was deceived, amen. But how many of you all know this? Adam ate that forbidden fruit on purpose. On purpose. Knowing what he did. Why? Because he loved his wife. And how many, we talk about types. I was going to preach on types tonight. I'll just touch on this. But folks, Adam and Eve is a type of Christ and his, and his bride. Amen. Ultimately, who is his bride? His redeemed. Why did God come? He, he wanted a redeemed bride. People who are saved. Amen. And that, don't, don't take any more than I said out of that than what I just said. Okay? But my whole point is this. Adam, in a figure, we look, and he knew what was going to happen to Eve. She was going to be cast out. She was going to be dead. She was no longer invited into the presence of God. And his love for her made her meet that forbidden fruit. Okay? By the way, it was Jesus' love for you that made him go to the cross of Calvary. Amen. He knew the consequences. He knew what was going to happen. And just like Adam, he knew the consequences. And yet for his love, he took and he ate of that forbidden fruit. And so if you will, um, if you will, uh, innocence ended in failure. By the way, who failed, God or man? Man failed. I'm going to let you know a little secret. I think you guys know the answer to this one. God's never failed. Man fails. And so if you will, man could take and stand before God and said, if you'd have just made me like Adam, I'd have, I'd have survived. I'd have been okay. I don't need your salvation. Yeah, you do. Why? Because it doesn't matter how long Adam was in that garden. And some people believe he might have been as, as old as 100 years old. Okay? You say, well, how do you know? I don't know. I said, some people say. Okay? You say, could he have been one day old? Let me ask you all a question here. How many of y'all think you could have named? I mean, let's increase your intelligence to 101 IQ. That's a joke, folks. Okay? Let's say we increase your let's, let's say we increase your IQ to a thousand. I don't even know if that's possible. Okay, how many of y'all could name every animal on Earth in a day? And yet sometimes that when we read that text, we're like, "Well, he just saw him and he named him." Well, please take this the right way. I think it took more than a day. I don't know how long it took. You're not with me, so I'm going to keep going. <laughs> so here's the deal. Uh, here's the whole thing. We don't know how long he was in there. We do know this. There came a day where Eve was tempted. She, she fell because of the deception. And then Adam, knowing her fate, took and partook of that fruit. And then they were cast out. Mankind failed. And it teaches us that any one of us put in that similar position would have done the same thing. Amen. Okay. Uh, and then we go to the time of conscience, meaning this. After they left the garden, they knew there was a God. They knew there was a consequence to sin. They knew the wages of sin was death. They knew that obedience was life. And yet they still made the decision either to obey or not to obey. So much so, okay, that how did, how did conscience end? Well, folks, con- conscience ended with the flood, okay? Uh, how's man doing at the end of the flood? Come on. Does, is that where the Bible says that man did that which uh, 
thoughts of his heart were only evil continually? Or that, that might be another, that might be in Judges. Is that the one? Yeah, thoughts and imagination of the heart were only evil continually. Y'all with me here? And so when God made him conscious of sin, well, if you just let Adam know what sin was, by the way, Adam knew what sin was. Adam knew what sin was. Okay. But if you just let us know the true awfulness of sin, okay, well, that's what he did with conscience. And literally it got to the point where there were only eight redeemable people. Come on now. There were only eight redeemable people left on earth when God took and closed that ark. Amen? God knows. But God didn't need to know. God needed for us to know. And I'm telling you that God is saying, if I made you in innocency, you would have fallen. If I had given you knowledge of sin, you would have fallen. Okay? Well, if you'd have just had some, uh, you know, some people help us out, you know, like uh, parents or a government, and if anybody gets out of line, you just punish them, then that, that would keep people in line. That would keep people in order. Yeah, well, not, not so much. Not so much. Anybody know how uh, a human government ended? With the Tower of Babel. Okay. And you know what man said? They said, we're going to take and we're going to build a tower up to heaven, okay? And we're going to not be scattered like God said. We're going to take and make a name for ourselves in the land, amen? And, and you say, boy, if, 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 we, if we just had people to lead us and to guide us, if you'd have had people to lead us and guide us, you'd have ended up exactly where they ended up at the Tower of Babel, okay? And so what, what is the point? Well, again, that historical thing. Were there some things that were true in, in, in innocency that weren't true in conscience? Well, yeah. Okay. Were there some things that were true in conscience that weren't true in human governments? Well, yeah. Okay. And so when you read those portions of Scripture, you've you got to take and understand them in the time frame. Now, we don't know very much about those parts of the Bible. Anybody want to tell me why? We don't really know, other than what the Bible tells us, about innocence, conscience, and human governments. Anybody know why we don't know very much about that? I, listen, I'm not, I'm not trying to ask a trick question here. How far back do your history books go? Anybody know when the first civilization was, according to our history books? You guys ever heard of the Sumerians? And the Sumerians live, a lot of times in history books, by the way, if, if, if they have an evolutionist thing, they'll talk about 12,000 years ago, <laughs> okay? But if somebody is, is a little bit more realistic with the time, they'll say 6,000, you know, 4,000, 6,000 years ago. And, and we, all we know is what we dig up, okay? We don't read any books because it's called prehistory. Why do we not know very much about this? I'll tell you why. Because we don't have any books other than what God gave us. Everything was in prehistory. By definition, everything before the flood was destroyed. Y'all understand that? Everything before the flood was destroyed. So the only thing we can know before the flood is what God tells us. Okay? And so what did he tell us? You know what he told us? He told us what we needed to know. This, this, this is significant. He told us what we needed to know. Okay, and so when it comes to innocence, he told us what we needed to know. 
And when it comes to conscience, he told us what we needed to know. When it comes to human government, he told us what we needed to know. By the way, history kind of starts at the end of human government when he starts going to covenant. Go to Genesis chapter 12 just real quick. Okay. Is there a significance to Genesis chapter 12? Can anybody think what it is? Yeah. But kind of on the theme of what I just talked about, think about it. Think about it for a second here. Who else lived during Abraham's time? What's the oldest book in the Bible? Job. Oldest book in the Bible. Okay. And so if you will, men start writing things down and then they start passing things down. Okay? And so if you will, that's kind of a line of demarcation of prehistory and history. All right? And it happened in the time of Abraham. Okay? Now I don't know about you, but sometimes we take we don't take and appreciate the significance of what God knows here. And it's interesting that the very first person after the flood and after the Tower of Babel and after the nations spread out, the very first thing God does is he makes a covenant with one man. He says, I'm going to be able to bless the world and your son, your seed, your descendant. Okay? And if you will, then history that we can take and read and is preserved, okay, that's when it begins is in in the time of Abraham. You all get this? Okay, and so, and so in a sense, your Bible really for us starts in Genesis chapter 12. Everything before that's prehistory, things that we couldn't have known unless God told us, okay? And so uh, uh, in the dispensations, what did he tell us? He says, well, if I'd have made you innocent, you would have fallen. If I would have given you a conscience, you would have fallen. If I would have put strong men around you to protect you, you would have fallen. And then, if you will, he says, if I had a personal relationship with you on the earth, Okay. Just like I did with Abraham. I'm going to make a covenant. I'm going to make a promise with you. And we're going to have a relationship. You're going to be my friend. Okay. And, and you know what? People would say, you know, God, if, if you'd have just given me that kind of relationship, I would have never fallen. Amen. Well, folks, you know how that the time of conscience ended. Okay. I mean... You had God's people in captivity in Egypt, okay? And even Israel wasn't worshiping God. Because they said, he said, who should I say sent me? Folks, do you realize that Moses had to introduce God to Israel? They didn't even know who he was, okay? And so if you will, you say, well, if, if you'd have just given us a personal relationship and walked close and let us be your friend, we'd have never fallen and, and God says, no, you would have fallen even then, okay? You would have fallen even then. I'm, I'm trying to think about this um, with the covenants. Ultimately, man starts following idols at this time. That's, that's why the world is full of idols at this time, the nation of Egypt and everything like that. They, they stop following God. Well, then you know about the law. God gives us the law. And God says this in Galatians. He says, the only reason I gave you the law is to prove to you that you needed a Messiah. Okay? And so I'm going to use Israel to be a lesson to you, to prove to you uh, that you need Christ. I'm gonna be, he's, they're going to be a schoolmaster unto you that, uh, that you might know that you need Christ. Okay? 
Well, folks, how did the, the law end? Think about it. It's not that hard. How did the, the dispensation of law end? I'm sorry, sir? People, well, you, crucifixion for me, and you'll see why, is um, they said, we will not have this man rule over us. Folks, the Bible says that Jesus came. We've been looking in the book of John, and he revealed God to us in the flesh. A man full of grace and truth who loved us unto the death. And mankind said, we will not have him. Why? Well, the biggest reason is we, we want to be self-righteous, and God says you can't be self-righteous. Okay? By the way, is that a lesson everybody needs to learn? And so if you will, man fails when they take and they say, we will not have this. And, and you say, well, Israel killed him. Yeah, the Romans had a part in it too. You know what that means? Jews and Gentiles killed him. Our sins killed him. And if we'd have been there, we'd have killed him too. Okay? Now you say, well, I pray that I'd have been a person of faith. And that's true, but that's God's grace and mercy again. Okay? Um, uh, what age are we in now? What dispensation? Grace. How's that end? How's that end? By the way, isn't grace make it easy? All you, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's, it's so easy. God's made it easy. And by the way, God has made it as easy as possible to be saved in this dispensation. How's it end? I, thought, I think so. The rapture. Why are we raptured out? So the Antichrist can be revealed. And the Bible talks about those days should be shortened. Why? Because no flesh would be saved. Meaning what? Even in all this grace, folks, I don't know if you've noticed, but churches are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. People who believe in God are getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Folks, people are attacking Christians today and nobody's saying anything about it. You know why? Because we are very fastly becoming a minority in this world. And what happens to godly minorities in the world? They get persecuted Sometimes to death, okay? So much so that God says, I'm going to take you out. Why? Because they're just, they're not listening anymore. Grace ends in failure, okay? Now think about one more thing. Um, um, I don't want to complicate anything. But there's, there's a little complication in the book of Revelation because you have the tribulation period, Okay? But that is the end of the law. God, there's a parenthesis in the law, and it's called the age of grace or the church age. But it, when you take the parentheses out, those 70 weeks of years, you guys remember that part? They all come together. And most of what God is dealing with in the book of Revelation is Israel and not the church. Why is that important? Because people misuse that to say, well, the church is going to have this and church is going to have that. And say, no, it's not. You've got to read it in this historical context. Okay? Amen? Uh, how does the millennium end? Now think about this before you answer that question. Jesus has been visibly ruling and reigning on the earth. They've transformed it from the battleground and the destruction that it was into a virtual paradise again. Not a virtual paradise, a real paradise again. 
Read the book of Isaiah talking about the desert blooming again as a rose and, and just talking about how, how all this destruction with his, with his benign leadership is, is just everything is going to be perfect. There's not going to be any war. There's going to be peace. And even the animal world is going to be at peace with one another where a baby could play on a cockatrice den, a, 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 a cobra. Okay. I don't know about you. I don't let my babies play on snake pits. Okay, good. We're on the same page here. Um, get a hold of this for a second. Think about living in that world. And by the way, how many of y'all want to? Whew, yeah, absolutely. Okay, I think we're going to have a part in that. That's another message for another day. But uh, here's, here's the point. All that perfection and all that righteousness, and the Bible says that Satan is loosed for a season. And how does, how does the millennial dispensation end? with the city of Jerusalem surrounded by the armies of Satan and essentially saying, we will not have this man to rule over us, this God to rule over us. And God sends fire down from heaven and then the great white throne judgment begins. You say, well, what are you saying here? I'm saying that God has used history to teach us a lesson. That when he says that his way is the only way, he knew that from the beginning. But you know who didn't know it? We didn't know it. And so God says, well, let's put you in every scenario that we can. Let's put you in innocence. Let's put you in conscience. Let's put you in human governments. Let's put you in a covenant. Let's put you in law. Let's put you in grace. Let's put you in millennium. Okay? And see how every time man failed. Okay? Meaning this. God is using history to take and to teach us the lessons of history that man in his best state is altogether sinful. Our heart is wicked, is it not? The Bible says it's desperately wicked, amen? And even our best intentions go awry. Even our best hopes go awry. And God uses history to teach that to us. Now, having said that, these different dispensations that I've talked about some of them are, you know, the first 11 chapters of the Bible, okay? But what, what two dispensations is the Bible mostly about? Law and grace. You all with me? Okay? And so, if you will, we should keep law, law, and grace, grace. Amen? And if it does happen to talk about millennium, let's keep millennium, millennium, all right? Now, I know we've talked about dispensations here but it's the principle that we need to take and apply and, and will be done the whole point is this is don't take Old Testament truth and say it's the same as New Testament does anybody do that and the answer to that question is absolutely yes and I'll, I will tell you this any church that preaches any form of work salvation they'll always base it on the Old Testament now, so you say, well, we should just throw out the Old Testament. Help me for a second. Can you understand the New Testament without the Old Testament? No. And so if you will, God is even using history saying, we did this in the past to teach you a lesson. Now learn the lesson. What? The lesson is this. is not your works of righteousness, but my mercy. Amen. 
And so by taking and looking at the scriptures in the historical context in which they are, make sure that you take and you keep it in the right frame of reference so that you interpret it the right way. Um, I'm I'm probably going to miss you guys here a little bit on this because I don't have enough illustrations for you on this one. But I will tell you this, that so many religions get sideways with God because they mix Old Testament truths and say they apply in the New Testament. And God would say, no, 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 no. Do we have to be circumcised to go to heaven? Do we have to be circumcised to go to heaven? No. Hmm. Can I ask you, what was the first, what was the first big issue with the early church? <laughs> they said, if you, if you want to be right with God, you've got to get circumcised. And you remember, if you will, the Apostle Paul said, no, no. Now, listen, it's right for Timothy to get circumcised, but it's wrong for Titus to get circumcised. Amen. Okay. And what he's trying to teach us is he's saying, listen, interpret your truths, okay? Interpret your truths in the right historical context, and then that way you don't confuse things. Um, I could give you more illustrations, but having said that... um, Do you have to be circumcised to be saved? No. And how do we know that? Now, I know that this is kind of a a heady matter, what we looked at tonight. But we know that by applying the right interpretation rules for our Bible. Historical, verbal, literal. Okay? And I'll promise you this. I don't don't know this because I don't know other churches. But I imagine a lot of churches aren't even taught how to study their Bible like that and how important it is to make sure that you do it the right way so that you come to the right conclusions. We live in a world today where, I mean, whatever you want to believe, there's a church out there. Amen. But I'll tell you this, they're all going to stand before the same God and God's going to say, I laid it out for you. You should have been able to see it, okay? You were without excuse, okay? Would to God that we would not be without excuse, but that we would learn the lessons and apply the tools as God has given them to us to understand them. Let's all stand, if you would. We're going to sing number 361. And I know this was kind of a Bible study, Bible study, but... um, Maybe you got somebody you'd like to witness to or just somebody you're burdened about. The, alt- the altar is open. The invitation is from the Lord. You come as we sing.